and he almost hissed at me over the phone. Like, I will deal with you when I get home. In this episode, we will talk about childhood de- neglect, physical abuse, and struggling to get a divorce. We'll dive right into Letitia Francis' courageous story, navigating through her guilt and now sh- using her struggles and sharing it so others don't go through the same. Be sure to listen in for all the details. Hello, my wonderful beasties. It's Tina, your host. Welcome to the Courageous Inner Beast, the place where you get charged up with courage by calling in your inner beast. Today, we have Leticia Francis. Hi, Leticia. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Tina. I am a women's empowerment coach. I'm really dedicated to helping survivors of domestic violence exit survival mode. Um, and get their mind right so they can actually start thriving as mm-hmm. opposed to surviving. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so what is your one courageous story today? So I am originally from Bermuda and I grew up in paradise. However, at the age of seven, I was told by my father that my birth was the reason for my parents' divorce. Really? And I think, yeah, um, that set me on a (laughs) 23-year turmoil journey um, of survival mode. I, I literally was plunged into survival mode at seven, and I know it may sound crazy, but I had to learn how to navigate life on my own. Um, both of my parents remarried. Yeah. Both of their spouses wanted nothing to do with me. And I grew up in between these two family units, never really feeling loved, never really feeling wanted, um, which created the sense of worthlessness for me. Mm. And so as any child does when they want attention, they do the most to get it, right? So yes. I was getting in trouble in school. I was getting in trouble at home. Um, and it created this narrative of I'm too much. I'm too loud. I've got too many opinions. I have too much attitude, which then fueled those feelings of worthlessness, um, yes. being unlovable, which then created this narrative that I I carried for so long. Um, So I spent years getting into trouble. I was the poster child for detention and all of those things, right? Like, I don't think I ever was not in detention. But what was interesting is during that time, what was discovered is that I was highly intelligent. And I like, you know, everybody says their child is intelligent, but actually... I was highly intelligent. Um, the school system that I was in wanted to skip me three grades when mm. I was nine. And my mom decided that that wasn't a good idea. Um, our school system is different from the States. We don't have a middle school system. Yeah. So it's seven years of primary school and then five years of high school. So mm. I would have been moved out of primary school into high school as a result of that. I get it now that I'm a parent why she decided no, but then what that created was this level of boredom for me. I'm mm. operating a 
beyond my years, but I'm being forced to stay behind, which then, of course, created this monster, if you like, because I didn't, I wasn't doing the work. I resented being in school, which then furthered that narrative that I was this problem child. Mm. That label problem child gave me to me wanting love and affection and attention. Yeah. Because I felt like I was invisible. Like what was going on internally was not being picked up by anybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, um, so wait, does that mean that within your story, like like I'm just curious about your siblings. Yeah, I'm assuming you have siblings too. So I guess mm-hmm. but then for you it was how come I'm not getting any of this? I'm like I need love and attention right now, but did did your siblings have more better distribution or just like universal? amongst all of you that um, you couldn't get it I didn't get that softness right mm-hmm. most of my attention that I got from my parents was discipline based because I was always in trouble so <laughs> I saw my siblings being like oh you're so sweet and you're so and here I am I'm too much I'm too this I'm always yeah. in trouble like I'm always being disciplined so it wasn't that I wasn't getting the same amount of attention mm-hmm. it was the type of attention that I was getting yes. so by the time puberty hits I become this brick house um, I'm very tall at a very young age. I'm fully developed, like big boobs, like yeah. you know what I mean? Yes. And in those environments, I don't look like I'm 11 or 12. I look like I'm 19 or 20. Yeah. So I start getting male attention, mm-hmm. which feels like heaven you know what I mean like Like, so I absolutely I became very promiscuous at a very early age and part of that was people grooming me for that I didn't have the conscious understanding that this attention wasn't good attention. I didn't understand that these men, because they weren't boys, men were Mm -hmm. taking advantage of me. All I knew was I wanted attention. I wanted affection. I wanted love. And this is where it came from. So by the time I was 14, I was introduced to a man that was twice my age. And he really took advantage of me like this for me is when the grooming began he saw that there was a gap in my my family dynamic and he inserted himself in that so he manipulated me and I didn't understand it like he would say I love you your parents don't love you and because that's what I'm feeling Mm. Uh, that narrative became true for me. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So is a very small community. I always tell people your neighbors know more about your business than you do. <laughs> and although I had been in the streets per se with many men, because this now became my boyfriend, this 28-year-old man, people went back into, to my mom and told her that I was out and about with this guy. And she did 
a background check. Mm. The background check revealed that most of his relationships ended with a restraining order. Um, and when she told me this, I thought she was cock blocking. I'm just keeping it real. Like, you and I don't have a good relationship. And now you're trying to block me from being with this person who, at that time, I hadn't seen any violent tendencies. Like, yeah. this was the person. This was, like, my solace. Like, I'm a Disney fan. This was my knight in shining armor. He came yeah, in to like, save oh, me. It's so amazing. He's loving me every little bit. Not like my parents. Or that's what he told you. And then he's just like, I mean, you, of course, it makes sense. You believed him at that age. 14 your frontal your frontal cortex is not even there yet completely developed so it makes sense it makes sense it makes sense um so i started going with him when i was 14 he put his hands on me for the first time right before i was 16 um he choked me uh and it was a huge surprise to me um i had gone to his house after being out with some friends and Wait, so he was physically abusive of, with you with that when he choked you? Yeah, that was the first time he choked me. Um, and oh to be honest, I had enough common sense, right? Like, this is not what a relationship should look like. I knew a man should never put his hands on a woman. Yes. So I laughed. Yeah. I absolutely laughed. Um, but because I'm young... And vulnerable and I'm still in this very volatile relationship with both of my parents yeah. um going back and not having that outlet made it easy for him to talk all this sweet nothings oh, into oh my, my goodness that sweet talk be like hi honey I'm like yeah. I'm here I'm here I'm here dripping of honey right like, yeah so much um, honey all the sweetness <sighs> Yes. And, you know, if you don't understand the cycle of abuse, you think, oh, my God, he is sorry. Like, it was a mistake, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so I went back. I went back. I eventually married him um, when I was 19. And although there was abuse throughout that a lot of it I would justify because he told me things that I had heard all my life I am a very vocal person I don't care who you are you can't shut me up I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say <laughs> regardless of the consequences so if I'm saying what I'm gonna say and he punches me because he didn't like what I said because I had heard my whole life you're too much you're too this you're too that I always blamed me. So it was always like, why couldn't you just shut your mouth so that he didn't get annoyed, right? Yeah. I didn't see it as abuse. I didn't see it as control. I didn't see it as manipulation. I didn't see it as grooming. So I'm Wait, still so having you, these very... What did you see it then? If it's, if it's not all that, because that is all that. So at the time, what did you thought it was during that time? I just thought it was, okay, you're just being disciplined because that was what I was used to, right? Like, mm -hmm. I grew up oh, in like a black you... family. Like, you, you, you talk out of the side of your mouth, you're getting a backhand. So it was what I was used to. I, I, 
And because I know that like I was a person that just never shut up, like it was <laughs> like, oh, you should have just shut up. You should just shut up. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So once I got married though, things got 10 times worse because what there was this difference? vision of ownership. Pardon? No, what, what was, what made the difference of like being like officially finally married and then having it 10 times worse now? It was this this vision of ownership. To him, he owned me now that I'm his wife. And I think that's where I really saw how dangerous he was. So it went from, okay, she could leave at any time to she's not going anywhere um, because she's married. Like you can't just up and leave when you're married. And like I was raised in a Christian household, like because of the trauma associated with my parents' divorce, yes. I didn't believe in divorce, right? So it was this power play that I think he really capitalized on. Because anybody that is an abuser, anybody who takes advantage, like when I look at it, he was a predator, right? So a predator. If, if you think of a lion in the jungle, they are 10 times smarter than their prey, right? Yeah. They lay in wait. They stalk. They are able to sneak up behind unseen. And I think that's, I think anyone listening, I think I want that vision that I want in your head. This man was a predator and I was his prey. So a lot of these things, because I didn't, I wasn't aware of like trauma bonding at that time. I wasn't aware of the cycle of abuse. I was caught up. I I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. I eventually got a, a job in law enforcement. And I think that job triggered him and scared him, right? Because of my proximity working with the police. You would think that things got better, but they got worse. And it oh, was yeah. like we, we I guess were so. living, you know, in the cottage. He used to barricade me in the house, you know, like really? so I couldn't leave for days at a time. Um, oh it goodness. was a lot of torture that was associated with it. Like he would douse me with alcohol and threatened to set me on fire. So there was a lot of psychological abuse that was happening that kept me kind of contained. And I think moving into law enforcement for me probably had an adverse effect, right? Like you would think, okay, now I'm working alongside the police. Like I would feel safe going and telling what's going on. But working in law enforcement as a law enforcement officer, you get to see other law enforcement officers as the humans that they are. And as I mentioned before, Bermuda's a very small community. I used to hear my co-workers gossiping about things that were happening that should have been confidential. So having access to that information, there was absolutely no way in how yeah. I'm letting the police know because what's going he on. Know, because he... He would know, and then also working alongside these people, my co-workers would know, and I didn't want that, right? Like, when you are being abused, there's this level of shame, because you have, 
this conscious awareness that what's happening isn't right. Yeah. But you also have a conscious awareness of how oftentimes victims are blamed for the circumstances that they're in, right? Yeah. I didn't want to look like a fool. I didn't want to look like this weak individual mm -hmm. putting up with all of this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so but then, like, also, I, like, like you were saying, oh, sorry, I, I, I mean, it also makes sense of, like, you were mentioning if, if, you like you said that your community in Bermuda is really small. So if you say something, it's gonna go around, and it's like you don't, you won't feel safe to showcase. Look what I've been going through. Like I need help right mm -hmm. now. But then there might be just it could be gossiping, or he could also be going around to him, and it might get worse for you. Too exactly, yeah. And it got worse. <laughs> <sighs> Like, I feel like that's, like, the caveat to the everything. It got worse. It definitely yeah, it, got it, it worse. Yeah, it keeps getting worse. keeps getting worse every single time. Yes. Um, so by the time I was about 21, I was starting to have this conscious awareness that I really didn't want to be in this situation anymore. Um, I was meeting people that were showing me attention, right? Like guys, they were showing me attention and it was a different type of attention. It was, I wouldn't say pure, but it was different than what I was getting at home. And because things were so strange, let's look at that again, right? Like yep. look at what happened with my family. Now I'm in this marriage and things are strained. It was easy for me to latch on to those things. Mm, yeah. And I, I began to realize like I'm being stalled and stunted in this relationship. Like going back to the fact that I was highly educated I wanted to further my like my education, and he yeah. was absolutely adamant that that could not happen now that I was his wife. And I began to feel very resentful because I wasn't moving. I wasn't moving forward. I'm not a person that can stay stalled very long. I get bored yeah. very quickly because yeah. of my, you know, intelligence. Wait, so, so I was very resentful. Wait, so I'm just curious about that. I know I keep interrupting you because I'm also like thinking, you know how like he stopped? Did it ever? Because you remember in the very beginning of your story, you said your parents, you knew you were highly intelligent, but then your parents like, oh, you don't need to go to go get school. Like, don't go to school. Yes, they decide don't go to school, stay home. Did that ever reflect yes. on when he told you you can't go to work or you can't go to further your education? You're my wife, stay home. Did that ever like? Yeah, it, with it your angered too. me. Yeah, it, it it angered me, and I saw the parallel, right? Like you, you if you sit in introspection or you have any sort of self awareness, you can see the parallels. And I didn't want to be held back. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm. Um, so that again gave way to me seeking attention from the wrong people, and he found out about it. I remember one day, I um. I couldn't find my cell phone. And it, that was weird for me. Like, did I lose it? Did I leave it at home? So I, I, I was at work and I realized I don't have my cell phone. And because I was working law enforcement, my shifts used to be 24 hours on, 24 hours off. Yeah. So I get home now and I still don't see my cell phone. So I call it from the landline and he answered 
And he almost hissed at me over the phone. Like, I will deal with you when I get home. After years of abuse, you kind of know when things are going to be horrible. And I, I literally sat, that, like, oh my goodness, that, bracing myself. I mean, like, I just have to quickly stop again. It's like, when he said that, I had so much chills for that. Like, so much. It's like, I will do you when we get home. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. It terrified me. Um but what was interesting was that night, as I waited for him to come home, my friend called the landline. And she was a person that always, like, um, she confided in me about her relationship issues. Like, I have been with this guy for so long at this point, right? Like, nearly six years. Yeah. Um, that, like, I was to my friends, like, the person that's got it all together because obviously I'm not sharing, right? Like I'm not going to share with you that I'm going through all of this. So she called and she was telling me about her boyfriend and I, to encourage her, opened up a book by Iyama Van Zandt called Until Today. So it's like this daily devotional and I just randomly opened it and the passage that I read to her was everybody is in your life for either a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And oftentimes, and this is ver like not verbatim, you know, just summarizing it. Yeah. Oftentimes, the reason why our interpersonal relationships don't work are because we're trying to keep somebody who was only meant to be there for a reason for a lifetime. And I felt like I was literally choking on my hypocrisy as I was talking to her, but that was honestly an enormous aha moment. Like the reason this relationship isn't working is because I'm not meant to be in it. I'm not meant to be here and dealing with that. Yeah. And that was a amazing aha moment. And it's almost ironic because that night my husband came home incredibly drunk he confronted me about text messages that he had found on my phone mm -hmm. from other men. And that night was the night that my husband stabbed me. Mm. God damn. Whenever I describe this, and I, I'm not going to go into all the details, but whenever I describe this, I tell people it was like a literally like an outer body experience. It was yeah. like I was watching myself on TV fighting for my life. I was stabbed several times. However, I never registered that I had been stabbed. Yeah. I didn't feel any pain. Yeah. I didn't feel anything. And that was because I'm like, my body is like full yeah. of adrenaline, right? Yep. Like you're in this fight and flight. I was literally fighting for my life. Before the altercation started, I had called my mom. And I was like, listen, I need you to come get me. I could just tell by the way that he walked in the house that this was going to be a horrible night. So I was like, I need you to come get me. And he had ripped the landline out of the wall. So I didn't know if she heard me. I didn't know if she was coming. I didn't know oh, anything. So she, I didn't know he cut it halfway when you were talking with her. Yes, he ripped the landline 
out of the wall. So I didn't know. I I was literally like, I don't know what's happening. We had a roommate at the time, yeah. and the roommate was actually who saved me. He heard the commission, and my husband at the time, his MO was to barricade us, right? So nobody could interrupt. And the roommate broke through the barricade and created enough space for me to run out of the room. Yeah. And I fell onto a couch and my husband ran after me. He straddled me on the couch mm. and began to try to stab me. And I, it's, it's not funny to me, but I, I say it jokingly it was almost like I was in the matrix like you know when it slows down and I like literally dodging bullets yeah I was dodging this knife right still unaware that I had been stabbed so the roommate actually pushed me out of the house I don't know whether or not it was to save himself <laughs> or to stop the police from coming I, I don't have a explanation as to why he pushed me out and not my husband but I was standing outside and I was like I don't know what to do it's like one something in the morning what do I do here like I'm not fully clothed I don't have shoes on my feet what do I do yeah. and in that moment my mom pulled up she heard me and she came so when my mom came like he can obviously, my husband could see the headlights coming up the driveway. Yeah. He started throwing my stuff mm. out of the house. Like bags of clothes and shoes. And it was raining. There wasn't any grass <laughs> in the yard. So yeah. everything was falling into the mud. Yeah. So my mama comes and she's like, you can see the confusion on her face. Like she doesn't understand what's going on because she doesn't understand what I've been dealing with for years. Right. Like yeah. no one knew the level of abuse that I was dealing with. And I remember her screaming, oh, my God, you're bleeding. You're bleeding. Yeah. And it was in that moment I still never processed pain. All yeah. I processed was the warmth of my blood. Yeah. Now that I realize that I've been stabbed, right? So I start trying to pack up the car, try to just get my stuff. And he comes outside. Um, he realized that he had thrown out some Louis Vuitton bags that I, he had bought me and he wanted them back. I'm 21 now. Louis Vuitton back then, we're talking like 20 years ago, literally 20 years ago. Um, that was like a status symbol, right? Like, yeah. you know, I want my Louis Vuitton bags and I was literally fighting him for these Louis Vuitton bags. As I packed the car, he was unpacking the car, trying to get these Louis Vuitton bags. And my mom was like, just get in the car, just get in the car. And I think that's when I realized the level of danger I was actually in because like, I wasn't conscious. Like yeah. I'm still watching myself fight on TV, like seriously. Yeah. So we get in the car, my mom was like, um, I'm gonna take you to the hospital. And I was like, absolutely not. 
makes sense. Yeah, to me, I was like, I'm not going to the hospital. If I go to the hospital with nice wounds, they are calling the police. I do not want the police involved. Like, yeah. that's an absolute no for me. My only concern in that moment was I have to be back to work soon because I was meant to do another shift. Like I was supposed to fill in for someone. So I, I need to be back to work. So I get to my mom's house <laughs> and trying to sort out my life. Um, I called my job to let them know that I have been stabbed but I'm, I'm trying to come in, yeah. which was ridiculous in that moment. And I think I'm in a safe space. <laughs> I wasn't. My mom said to me, well, what are you going to do? Because you can't stay here. Like, where are you going to go? Like, Wait, this is literally... you can't even go home to your parents' house to just stay? No, what just happened? I was not allowed to stay there. Like literally 90 minutes out of being stayed by my husband and I'm being abandoned by my mother. So I call a women's resource center like that deals with domestic violence. And I explained what happened and they was like, well, you need to go to the police station um, and they will escort you to our shelter. So I did. I um, went to the shelter and I then start rebuilding my life from there. I spent nearly two months in the shelter until I was able to secure an apartment for myself. Yeah. And I struggled with getting a divorce. I felt guilty. I felt shameful. I felt incredibly embarrassed by the failure of my marriage, right? Yeah. Um, and it took me years to reconcile that. I eventually got a divorce. Um, how long did it take? And like the whole the whole process of it, like how long did it take from start? It took a it took a year. So in Bermuda, oh we hadn't been quite married for three years, but we hadn't we had just celebrated our second anniversary when yeah. this happened. The legislation in Bermuda requires you to be married for three years bef before you can file for divorce. So I had to wait a full year to file for divorce. And it was... That's so um, I legislation. December 17th. December 17th, 2024. I mean, 2004 was when my divorce was finalized. Mm -hmm. um, so literally 20 years ago, well, 19 years ago for the divorce. But um, it took me a very long time to rebuild my life because I think I was slightly naive that once I was out of the abuse, that, like life would magically get better. It doesn't unless you actually work on yourself, right? Yeah. And it took me years to realize that. And a lot of toxic relationships later I kind of like hit rock bottom and I realized that if I don't make a change mm. nothing's gonna change for me so I started working with a therapist slash life coach and she helped me to see that being a victim 
it was me relinquishing my power and control. And that was the biggest lesson that I ever learned. When I stopped being a victim, yeah. I actually had control over my life. Yeah. And that's where I am now. Like, like I said at the beginning, like I, I really am dedicated to helping women get their minds right because I think that's what keeps us stuck. That's what keeps us in this hood and pattern, repeating yeah. the same mistakes over and over and over. Um, and I'm so grateful for that woman that helped me to see that because I don't think my life would have changed if I didn't have that recognition and that awareness that my narratives were what were keeping me stuck. Yeah. So that's the story. <laughs> All wrapped up in a bow. <laughs> yes. I, oh, man. I have, like, there's some, oh, I don't know. I just, like, I, I have no words. Just a lot of reaction because I'm just, like, wow. Shoot. Really? Like, it's, yeah, like, just, like, even the fact when you're at the very end and you're still abandoned by your mom, that's, like, I'm still very, I, I have no words for that. Like, the one caretaker that gave birth and was like, nope, you can't stay here. I know you got stabbed, but you can't stay here. And I was like, it's literally that. It's just, telling, just pretty much telling you that. And it's, but the fact that you, you know, you, after being in the shelter, the women's shelter, and then having a life coach, it's just where you are now in that mindset of like, if you, you know, let go of being like, you're the victim of everything, you have the power in you, the control in you to be better and changing your narrative. It's amazing. And so thank you so much, Leticia, for just sharing your story. It's Wow. And <laughs> I was curious, like, what is your, like, based on of all, like, based on your story, like, what is your one takeaway for our audience? My one takeaway is that our struggles today becomes the masterclass for someone's life tomorrow. And if we can get out of our own way, we can actually change the world. It's, yep, it's, yep, yep. <laughs> it's pretty much like once you like, get, you know, like you said, like once you get out of your own way, you can do anything. You can do anything in the world. And so thank you, Leticia, for just sharing your story, your one, your takeaway and everything. It's, it is a story that it's, it, I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm so speechless of like all the, I'm honestly just all of that. So but thank you, thank you for being here and joining with us. It's thanks it's for having me, Tina. Of course, it's so wonderful. And so, thank you, everyone, to just being here and listening, listening with us. If you enjoy our conversation, please leave a review wherever you're listening, and look out for new episodes every Tuesday on the Courageous Inner Beast. Thank you for listening in. If you enjoy our conversation and would like to know more about Leticia Francis, please look in the show notes for more information and for the links. <laughs>